When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I'm Bradshaw. That's Briscoe. And what a pleasure we got now. The only guy who pinned Antonio Inoki and the giant Baba. The only person who held all three of the Japanese titles as a singles that made up the triple crown threat, Mr. Stan the Lariat Hanson. Stan, how you doing? All right. All right, John. It's good to see y'all. And uh, man, uh, I'm doing good. I have no complaints. The bad man from Burger, Texas, the last outlaw. You know, the, the best call I've seen is what came out of your clothesline. You know, if a cowboy throws a clothesline, it's hilarious. I'm not sure how that ever came about, but the Japanese announcers, Lariato! It's the greatest call ever. Just awesome. Except when he got hit by it. Well, anyway, I, I appreciate you using it here in the United States, and you always kind of put me over when you uh, talked about it and everything. And uh, I always appreciated that, you know. I mean, you didn't have to do that. but uh, Well, it's uh, like throwing a left hook after Joe Frazier. You know, you got to say the greatest when you when you throw it. You can't, you can't just throw it and not give credit uh, where credit's due. Stan, you got so much heat during that time because when, when Layfield would lay these guys out and they couldn't see, you know, their eyes were all 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 pointing in different directions. They get to the back and they start bitching. He said, Don't blame me, blame Stan Hans on it. So he every every guy he potatoed always hated your ass for sure, for letting him allow him to use that damn thing. Well, that's all right. You know what? If they hate me, then that's good. <laughs> uh, he did a good job at it, man. I'll tell you that. You know, I I I got I, I was I was honored a few times uh uh by that damn Larry too. Sand was was it you or or or, or Frank Goodish that we were in that tag team tournament down in Louisiana that dropped down and got two points on me. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> funny. I kind of remember you me dropping down and you getting two <laughs> points on me. I mean, how stupid was that, Layfield? I mean, I, you know, a 200 pounder, there's a 355 pounder, wild ass Texas. I, and I call that old 
goofy ass because Jack and I was scared to death. We walked out there to a big tag team tournament. Fit 40,000 people want to Bill Watson's. I think it's a Christmas night show or something like that. And he had a tag team tournament. So he, he, he matched Jack and I up against uh, Stan and Frank Goodish, man, before he was Bruiser Brody. And uh, we looked across the ring. Here's these two big ass Texans that said, man, we're in for a rough time. We might as well have some fun. I said, well, if we're going to get beat up, I'm going to call a damn two, two point spot. Jack said, you'll never do it. So, I waited until Sam was huffing and puffing a little bit, crisscross. I dropped down. He dropped two points, and Stan went, he went friggin' nuts. <laughs> that was the last time I saw light of day in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Sam yeah. said, They got, I got, I, people got me a number of times. That's why I took these glasses off. And everything was just really nice, and no, no eye contact with nobody. Saying is that was that a work? I mean, that you couldn't see, or you were really just that well, damn you know, I'm pretty. That's dumb. a great question, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> the boys have wondered that for about forty years. Yeah, I don't believe you're really How that blind hit you in the face. navigate around. I just think that was a work. How Stan could hit you in the face every single time with that lariat, and somehow he said, well, I can't see. Yeah. <laughs> That's the greatest gimmick in the world, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm pretty blind, but I can't see about that far. <laughs> yeah. That's the reason when I locked up with you, I was always so tired. So, Stan, let, let, let's go back a little bit in your history. There, A lot of people know you from – I mean, globally, they know 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 the reputation of Stan Hansen and every guy in the business. You know, some of these young punks, some of these young dudes that that walk around calls themselves professional wrestling. You mentioned Stan Hansen; they kind of give you that puzzled look. Man, it, it it pisses us all off. You know, I mean, you're a part of our our, our history and uh, and you know, one of the legit badasses that and ever, but. How, how did, I mean, I know you were a football player. How did you get to uh, West Texas State, that outlaw university? And, and, and well, what's kind of the, the progress of so many grades come out of that damn little, little university there. And I remember Dusty telling me about that coach uh, that had that raspy voice on you guys all the time. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, what was his name? Joe Kerbal. Carbo, behind, Carbo. His, behind his back, we called him the fat man. He was about five nine at about 400 pounds. He was an ex-Marine drill sergeant. And, you know, man, he, he, it was back when coaches like Woody Hayes and, you know, they, they could do what they dang near wanted to, you know, with their players. And, uh, I mean, from Mercury Morris to Dwayne Thomas, he he treated everybody the same. Bad. Bad. <laughs> did, did, did you play? But, with but he was a great coach, and and you know he he made a lot of uh, mediocre players, good football players, and he ran off a few. But you know you, I mean he had great success, and he he was he's the most dynamic character I think I've met in my life. And Terry Funk and Bobby Duncombe and. Uh, Dusty Rhodes. I mean, everybody remembers, you know, Joe Kerbal. 
And uh, anybody that ever traveled with you guys, any 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 one of those guys that you just mentioned, and I was fortunate enough to travel with all of you guys, but that's a name that you know I felt like I played for the damn guy because I just <laughs> I'd heard so many. I knew him better, and I knew my own damn coaches. You know, and, I, and he was one of those old school coaches. Nowadays, I mean, he wouldn't last five minutes out of school. No. Now. <laughs> He wouldn't, he, you know. How many times did he grab your face mask and then just shake it around? Or did you I guys mean, even have face masks back then? <laughs> <laughs> one time, one time the, uh, he said, come out or something. Somebody come across the middle and it completed a pass. I played middle linebacker. And and so he, he played. So he, he sent somebody in for me and he brought me out. He come over here and. And he was under a lot of heat, you know, at the time for hitting on the players and stuff. <laughs> and so he said, boy, everybody, and he's smiling. He's smiling, big old smile. Come here, Stan. And he gets me and he puts his arm around and he turns around to the to the crowd where the crowd can see his face. And he said, you son of a bitch. And he's hitting me in the daggum gut as hard as he could, you know. <laughs> But he's smiling at the fans. That was just the type of guy he was. And, you know, we never didn't take it personal. Some people just absolutely, he ran off a bunch of guys. Bobby Duncan was one of the few guys that could never, ever said anything good about him. But, uh, you know, most of us all had a Kerbal story, you know. Did, did, were you is that the uh, university you were recruited by and wanted to go there because of the racing or did you, you no. wanted to play football? You know, I had a cousin that lived there and I'd gone to Canyon a number of times, you know, uh, you know, to visit my cousin and everything. I actually got recruited, you know, I, I went to high school in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And I, I, you know, I'd moved from Texas to there for my, you know, last three years of high school. And I had, anyway, I, I did good in, uh, in high school football, you know, all state and all that stuff. But, you know, it, uh, I wanted to go someplace and I wasn't thinking, I just wanted the recruit trip to Canyon, to, to West Texas, just to see my kinfolk that lived there. But Kerbal, I mean, he talked, he talked my mom, he sweet talked my mama into, oh, I have him tutor and he, he'll never, you know, struggle or he, you, know, you come here. And I just, I was going to like University of Arizona. There was a bunch of schools, Texas Tech, you know, I visited a number of schools and, uh, but uh, the Kerbal, and, and then I, I ran into an old uh, roommate when I was in the ninth grade living in Texas. He was getting recruited the same weekend. So that kind of just solidified why I ended up going to West Texas. Well, Stan, tell about on your recruiting trip, that's when you met the guy who would have as big influences on anybody in your career, right? Right, yeah, yeah. You mean uh, Frank? You met you met you met Frank Goodish on the recruiting trip, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, the Tell first the very about, about <laughs> meeting Brody and the room and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when you, I mean, everybody probably knows, but when you go to you know recruit, they assign somebody to take you around. They assigned a guy to take me around, and he was you know, took me to the, you know, over here to the cafeteria and this, that, and the other. 
And I said, well, you know, what? I want to see the, you know, the room, you know, the dorm room that you live in. And he goes, and it's about like two in the afternoon now, you know, and I go, yeah, I want to see the room. He says, well, so he stopped me out in, in the hall, you know, and he says, you know, everybody has a roommate, you know, so, you know, so anyway, that said, uh, you know, here, I'll show you my room. And I, so I go in. And there was like a line down the middle of the of the room. On his side, Phil Hampton was the guy's name, and, and uh, he was their center. And uh, he, it was the immaculate bed was made. Everything was really nice. And then right in the middle, man, there was just crashing crap all over the floor and everything. And then I, uh, you know, I looked and I saw all that, and I looked up at the bed. And all of a sudden, this guy ro- rolled out of bed, no sheets on the bed or nothing. And he was just, and he goes, Oh, this is my roommate, Frank Goodish, you know. <laughs> That's the first time I ever saw. And then he rolled back over and went back to sleep. <laughs> and Jerry, you had mentioned that I didn't know this that the reason that Brody, who is Frank Goodish, Bruiser Brody, people know him more as, uh, went to West Texas State, was he'd been thrown out of a college before that. Is what you said. Yeah, Iowa State State University. One of my dear friends, Jim Dushan, was the 191, uh, two time, uh, three time All American wrestler at at Iowa State. And his dorm room was next door to Frank Goodish. And I mean, he, he, I mean, he had met Barbara there and all that stuff. So one time, uh, Frank had just disappeared, you know, wrestlers, you know, football players, seasons are different, of course, you know, you don't really see a lot of each other, but, you know, a guy like Frank, you know, you hear him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden he just disappeared. So uh, Jim, Jim and Elmore, they'd like to go out and have a share of that all beverage every once in a while. And so all of a sudden his beer drinking buddy was gone. So he started asking some of the football players, what happened to Frank? Well, Frank led into one of those coaches and they told him to pack his bags and get off uh, campus there and aim and don't let the sun catch a, catch him going down in the city limit of aim. So he started thinking and he did heard about this outlaw school down in West Texas. And yeah. uh, he said, that's where I need to go. <laughs> and so I, I guess that's how he ended up down there. Yeah, him and a guy named Larry Brazon, who ended up coming to West Texas with him. They were both at Iowa State, and I guess they both got kicked out or whatever. And so they they got on a train and they rode a train into Canyon, Texas, and they they opened them. and it's just flat as hell. I mean, there's nothing out there except that gum buffalo grass. And he says, "God, wow!" They couldn't believe it. You know, they come from <laughs> the Corn Belt to the Dagum. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> But uh, he he ended up he ended up you know he had the red shirt and uh, everything and then later he got kicked out of there too. How <laughs> <laughs> I many how many years was you with Frank and 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 uh, West Texas? Uh, just just actually one year. One you year. know I I came there as a freshman. I was a high school recruit, and that was his red shirt year. Or. I don't know. I think he was redshirted my freshman year too. So but <laughs> anyway, but during that during that time, I uh, he you know all the guys from back east, 
you know, they, they come out to West Texas, you know, it's like wide open Western. I mean, that, you know, they, the wild they West down a little bit on the, on the, uh, the Texans or whatever, you know, a lot of, a lot of Kerbal recruited a lot of guys from PA and, you know, uh, and back East and everything. So anyway, Frank, Frank didn't last, but, uh, you know, and then he hung around Amarillo for a little while and then he moved down to San Antonio. Well, I mean, before that, I mean, you know, the, the story on Brody, he ended up writing for the Dallas morning news. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that, that's his a, sports writer, his sports writer, right? Right. Uh-huh. But he, he moved down to Odessa, uh, and, and lived down there. And, uh, uh, he played for the, the San Antonio, uh, Toros. I think they were called, it was like a Texas league there at that time. And, and, uh, so anyway, so I did, I, I lost track of him, of course, after he left college. Were there any of those egg sucking dog funks or roads and road and loud in school yet? You know, the, are you the, were funks, the funks were ahead of me. It all of a sudden it's it's saying Briscoe iPhone, but uh, that's yeah, cool. well, I'm on that. Jerry, that's the show's much better without Jerry, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he'll yeah. figure it out. He's yeah, an Oklahoma. He uh he he was a sports writer for a while and then he played everything. Then he, he he tried to break in and Fritz, he was up there for Fritz. Fritz was the one that actually broke him in. Were you there with uh Dusty and uh, was Terry still in school then? No, no, but I knew Terry because when I got there, I mean I'd known Terry because I had kinfolk in Canyon and went there and I kind of followed a little bit of wrestling, you know, because it was like a live show and all this stuff and everything. But then when I got there, a couple of Terry's friends were my freshman coaches. And they said, God, you look just like Terry Funk. I used to part my hair on one side and, you know, back then and everything. And so word got back to him that there's some guy that looks a whole lot like you. Terry's, I think – six, seven years older than me. So he was out of, out, out of college and already wrestling when I got there. What was it about West Texas State? And I got to ask you about Dick Murdoch. Dick Murdoch, <laughs> I tagged with Dick Murdoch. He always wow. told me he went to West Texas State. He played in the alumni games at West yeah. Texas State football. He never went there one day, did he? No, he didn't. I think <laughs> he, he, a West Texas he, he was just, just honorary he was just I'm back. you know they let him play that that's true they you know i you couldn't who's that who's that back. i missed that I missed another that. great texan jerry dick murdoch we're talking about great texans here <laughs> he you was, know I, i've heard the story so uh, uh murdoch came when did he come i, I missed that part of it well murdoch never went to west texas he <laughs> he just got he just came he was he was like the town toughy, according to my <laughs> no cousin that lived there. Everybody knew Dick Murdoch. He was he went to Caprock High well, School. His old man, his old man was a star there for the Funk Senior, right? Right. Yeah. Evidently, you know that's that's true. You know his dad. I think 
was it Frank? Frank, Frank, I think his name was Frank or something like that. Yeah, Frankie Murdoch or something. But, you know, I, I, I never knew him or anything, but Murdoch was known all around that area as the, the toughest SOB, you know, in Amarillo. So, you know, Stan, he was a and everything. I tell you a great Dick Murdoch story. So Murdoch always drove me. I tagged with him, but he he drove me. He he wouldn't let the young guy drive. He'd drink his Coors Light, throw him out signs going by, but he never let me drive. So one I've never morning, done that. One morning, <laughs> he always would sing, "Take me drunk, I'm home." That's a song he and Dusty Rhodes came up with. It's terrible, terrible, terrible song. <laughs> so we're going to Lawton for uh, Lawton, Oklahoma, and yeah. Dick gets in. He goes, "God's oh, country." He said, Dick, you, he said, kid, you got to drive. First time I'd ever grow. And I said, all right. So I'm driving down the road. Dick's sick. He's hung over. He feels terrible. And I said, Dick, you want me to pull over? He said, no, kid, no, keep driving. So I, I look at him a little while longer. He's, he's white. And he just looks terrible. I said, Dick, you want me to pull over? He goes, no, kid, keep driving. So we get to the Red River. And he goes, almost there. So we pull over the Red River. He goes, pull over, kid. He pulled over and he threw up all over Oklahoma. And he got back in the truck. He got back in the truck, and he goes, "Don't you ever throw up in Texas?" <laughs> he was oh, that's, oh, that's a good uh, thing to remember. <laughs> he dang right it is. Stan, yeah, you know Dickie Murdoch. Dickie Murdoch would never do anything like that. He had so much respect for the Okies, you know. <laughs> you know. So, uh, he's I heard stories about him and Watts sitting up in the middle. Dick Murdoch, well, he, he was all dressed in his Texas, at the Texas OU game. And uh, Watts had like season tickets or something. And they had all set it up there with Watts in the Oklahoma section. But Dick Murdoch standing there with, with the big orange crush on, you know, it's it's funny. Yeah. You got put together with uh, Frank Goodish in the Watts territory, right? I guess Leroy McGurk was probably the one running the territory then. And you, you went yeah, that's it. And that's the first time that uh, you got put up together in a tag team with the guy who would later become Bruiser Brody, right? Right. Yeah. Sorry, my daughter just called me. I hung the phone up, but uh, <laughs> didn't. That's didn't what happened to me. My son called me. Wes said to tell you hello too, Stan. He oh, didn't say. Yeah. I, uh, so what was, uh, what was the question? When you first left Oklahoma, you you left, uh, Amarillo and the Funks got you booked, uh, I guess for Leroy McGurk, I guess up in Oklahoma. And they put you with Frank Goodish for the first time up there in Oklahoma. Did you guys have the, later you guys had incredible chemistry. I think in my opinion, most dominant tag team probably of all time, you know, especially from 82 to 84 when you're working for giant Baba. Did you guys have that chemistry then right away when you guys got together? You know, I I, I think we had a, a connection, of course, from West Texas. But, you know, I, I I ran across Frank when he was trying to get broke in for and Fritz was breaking him in. And uh, there's a little story. But, uh, you know, I, I go uh, the funk sent me into the uh, Dallas territory I was working and they say, yeah, we're trying. Oh, you at West Texas. Bronco Lubitsch said, he says, you know, uh, uh, yeah, well, we're trying, uh, we're breaking in the guy that went to West Texas. You, you really, you know, you'll love this guy, you know? And I said, what's his name? He said, uh, Frank Goodish. 
I said, that crazy SOB? Are you kidding me? Yeah, man, wow. What a, what a, you know, I've been in the business about a year, a little over maybe a year and a half or something. And, uh, and he says, no, no, this guy is so quiet and mellow and everything. He just, he's really nice. I said, Frank Goodish. (laughs) Anyway, I go over there to see him, you know, I say, Hey, what are you doing? You know? And we, Oh, this, he says, what are they saying? You're some quiet guy or something. I said, Oh, Frank. He says, I'm trying to get broke in. Don't say anything. Don't ruin it for me. (laughs) So that was the first time I reconnected with Frank. And then later we both in Louisiana at the same time, Fritz sent him to Louisiana and uh, Funk sent me to, uh, well, you're a popular man there, Sam. Oh, yeah, my daughter. See, that's what happens when you go on the Briscoe Layfield show, man. Everybody, yeah, you're yeah. everybody wants I'm to doing a podcast. Man, man. How, how big a biggest star right. you are. Right, <laughs> I just wish people could actually see the hour that it took us to get us all on a Zoom call. That was the best part of the show. <laughs> Nobody's on. Really? Don't ask me how we did it. I have no idea. <laughs> and don't ask you again, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Sam, how crazy was it? You're from a group, uh, I guess, Las Cruces, right? And then you go to Amarillo and you're working in the South. Then you go up to New York. Uh, seems as far in a place it could be. I know because I'm the same. I came from West Texas, go to New York the first time. It feel like you're on Mars or something. Uh, not uh-huh. as bad as going to Oklahoma, but it's <laughs> – <you know, laughs> But and then you get this big match with Bruno San Martino, the legend uh, sold out the garden 187 times or whatever it is. And you end up, Bruno hurts his neck, and you end up in the hottest angle in the world at that time. How crazy was that time with Bruno? Well, it was, but let, let me just back up a little bit. I'm in the Dallas territory now working. Not just visiting like it does when I when I I was actually working. I was the number two heel, uh, you know, the Archie Goley, the Stomper. He was the number one heel, and he was managed by J.J. Dillon. And then I was like the number two guy, and I knew exactly where I stood and everything. And Red Bastine, uh, you know, was the booker. But there's an old-timer named Mike Pedusas from Steubenville, Ohio, and he is already retired. He saw me. He was good friends with Bruno. He called Bruno and he said, I, I think I found you somebody that you can make some money, you know, that'll be fit fit in up there uh, that you can work against. So I really got booked because Mike Pedusas called Bruno and Bruno called Vince. And that's how I got in there. So I owed, I owed uh, you know, a lot to the, you know, the Dallas territory and everything and then the very first match you know i ended up scoop slamming bruno you know as he's coming off the ropes and it, it it's just a little awkward or something but anyway I, I didn't get him flat and uh he came down on the back of his neck and i saw his head you know hit and you know at an angle about like that and I went, oh, God. So I got up behind him, you know. And he, oh, you can't he, see. 
Yeah, I said, are you? That was, I said, a, you know, that was a slip. You okay, and he says, Good give me a second. <laughs> give me a second, and uh, you know. But anyway, then we went on with the match, and I had no idea that he was, you know, hurt until Vince Senior jumped on my ass big time. What kind of message was that, Stan? What kind of message did Vince Senior deliver? And how was it delivered? <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you, to this, I mean, to this day until Bruno passed away, we were, we were, he never held it against me. We were actually pretty tight. We'd talk a couple of times a year, everything. We, we really got along great. Just a class guy, just a class, one of the classiest guys I've ever met, you know, yeah, I'll, 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 position. And I know Hogan came through and there's others that come through and they were over and they did really great. But in 19, you know, from about 65 to about, you know, the late seventies, nobody was over like Bruno in that. Area. As they say, as the kids say, he was the goat at that time, man. There, there, there was nobody better. I mean, yeah. and, and, yeah. and the guy, uh, he, he was the part, he was Bruno San Martino. He was one of those gimmicks that, you know, wasn't a gimmick, but he was a gimmick. I mean, it was a character, but Bruno was not a character. He was a real deal. And he was, I mean, that he he lived his real, he he was Bruno. I mean, it, it wasn't uh, Stan Hansen goes out and does a lot of crap in the ring and all this other stuff, you know, or whatever, you know, that's one thing, but what I do back here at my home is a whole different thing. Yeah. So Bruno was the same. He, he was the same type of person probably at home on the streets with his family, everything. Then, then he was just the tough Italian guy that came, you know, came up the hard way. Speaking of Italian guys, when that, when that accident happened, did, did any of those Italian brothers reach out to you or did, did you get any threat? I'd heard you got threats and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, evidently they hit, they hit a lot of it until some, <laughs> somebody pulled a gun on me, you know, in some place in Rhode Island. And they said, well, maybe you better go home. So protect you so you can come back to Shea stadium. And if they, Kill you there, it'll be okay. <laughs> hey, yeah, as long as we get the house in, right? <laughs> what I heard, Jerry, Jerry Blackwell was the one that kind of pushed you through and got you away from that gun. Is that right, Stan? I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm telling you, come on the Briscoe and Bradshaw show. You know, I, yeah, I know. Hey, John, I'm on the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Everybody's calling me. I hope there's not some bad news out there that well, I Well, no, know. it's because you're on our show. Stan. My daughter and then my son and you know we're so. trying to tell you you're on our show. Yes, this is what <laughs> happens here. Everybody's tuned in, maybe. I That's don't right. know. Exactly. That's right. Stan, did they rush that match at Shea Stadium? You had the the what it was like the Antonio Anoki uh Muhammad Ali fight was the close circuit. Then we also had Chuck Wepner versus Andre the Giant. Right. You versus Bruno. But from what I heard was they're having a hard time selling some tickets, and that's why they added Bruno back. Did Bruno come back a little bit early for that? Well, you know, he said that he 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 was not quite ready, you know, to come back. But that, you know, uh, whatever the reason they wanted to do the Shea Stadium show, you know, but it, it, 
It, I understand, and they close-circuited it all over the United States. And the thing between Ali and Anoki, uh, uh, you know, of course, was the main kind of thing to put it together. And, but, but it didn't draw anywhere except where <laughs> in New York area, you know, the old WWF territory, because of Bruno. And uh, Bruno was coming back from this injury, a legitimate injury. And, uh, you know, uh, I was with, you know, a a woman and she was in the stands and watching. And she said that there were these just thousands of these unbelievably dressed people, you know, dressed up in, in, she she said furs and I I'm sure it wasn't fur but they were dressed to the nines right and everybody had suits and everything and they sat through all the matches until Bruno came out and when Bruno came out to the ring people just went up just in this huge roar people were crying they were crying they they he was over so much. And they were so happy that he was coming back. And, you know, I, I get cold chills when I, I just said that because, yeah, I mean, he was over. And it drew where they closed-circuited in, in, in the WWF. I know my brother was on that card, and they they, they closed-circuited it down here at the Bayfront Center, and, and that old building was packed. And I think it was one of the largest, largest uh, they'd ever done. And they'd, they'd had – several of the Ali boxing matches on, on the closed circuit tear. And this one, this one just blew them all away. And it, it and you're right. Cause we have a lot of snowbirds come down. It was right. Bruno. It was because uh, I was at the event watching pay-per-view. And when Bruno was introduced, I mean, even here in Tampa, you know, all the snowbirds, I mean, it, it was, it was, a, it was, it was goosebump time. You know, there, yeah. there are certain times in our business when you hear something or see something, and we as competitors get goosebumps, and that was one I'm standing. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of guys that have really gotten over in, in the New York, and, uh, you know, I mean, and, and they're great talent and everything else. But, I, I mean, I will always think that nobody was over more than Bruno. You know, he, he was over. I mean, he was just – I mean, he really was. And, and he, was he was the type of character – that he portrayed was his real personality, you know? And so I think people could read into the fact that this guy is the legitimate Bruno, whatever Bruno is, that's Bruno. You you know, you know, that's right. Bruno was like, but you know, you know how the competition was, I mean, Bruno was the Northeast and then, you know, you had your NWA and you had your AWA and you had, and everybody always thought their guy was was the was was the greatest ever, you know. Right. And you know, I, and and I always held that little. Well, that's Northeast. I never really gave until I got there in St. Louis, Missouri. They brought brought Bruno into St. Louis a couple of times, and uh-huh. his style and St. Louis style just didn't kind of mesh, you know. Right. You you worked both both places, so you know. But when I finally got to sit down and and get one on one with Bruno and 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 get to know Bruno as a man, 
then that's when my respect for him just yeah. started slowly changing. And then, of course, the Internet comes along and you get to see some of these videos. If you're a student of the game, you go back and you, you watch some of these things. And then you get to see what kind of reaction this guy had and, and just how special he was in our business there. But I, I just feel, you know, the last few years, like at, at, at Orlando, you know, when when you and me and uh, Bruno, we all hung out together that weekend. Right, yeah, yeah. And I really, I, that was really the first time that I got to know Bruno on a real uh, personal one-on-one right. basis. And I walked away from that weekend just just with a glow on, just be, from being close to Bruno. I know it. I mean, really, I mean, I, I I can't say enough. Like you said, he took a green guy. You know, I've been in the business three years. I mean, I hurt him. You know, I I, I messed up. You know, but he never one second, one second. I called somehow. I got a number and I called him, and he was in the hospital and everything. And he, I mean, he was kayfabing and everything. But he says, you know, this is Stan. God, I'm so sorry. You know, I. I I'll just head back to Texas, you know, and he says, no, 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 don't, you know, hey, crap happens, you know, Bobby Duncan broke my arm and <laughs> you broke my neck. So you Texans, <laughs> you Texans really run roughshod over the Okies. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we, we learned how to work is the difference. <laughs> Hey, Stan. And so, why? Uh, so, uh, your your what? What was your time kind of cut short after Shay in, in New York? What did you want to say, or was you wanting to? Because you 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 gathered no you gathered no uh, no mosses. They were you were one of those tumbleweeds that yeah that blew ever all over the damn world, man. So, uh, take us take it take us on the journey after after what happened finishing up there in New York and and where you are, what happened next. Yeah, well, you know, Bruno told me. He's the one who told me. He says, listen, he said, if you stick around here for time, everybody and their dog, they'll be putting you, you know, you'll be putting over. Don't do that because you can come back. You can come back in a, a number of years and we can uh, have another run. And so, you know, to me, that was gold. It didn't matter what anybody else you know, I followed his advice, you know, and I said, well, if Bruno's telling me to do that, then that's got to be the right thing to do. And so I, you know, I ended up finding a place where I was going out and they wanted me, you know, I, you know, to work with Strongbow in a single and Putsky, you know, uh, more. And, and and so, you know, I I, I just got out without you know protecting myself so i could come back for bruno because that's what he said i didn't get that could you try again what the hell is that what was that <laughs> john your voice could you try again next thing you know i'm turning into a cat i thought john had changed is that you voice. you know yeah he has those issues i can't hear you can you hear us now Stan? this is as loud as i get What is this? This is great, man. <laughs> can you hear me, John? I can hear you, Jerry. I can hear you too, John. Okay, Stan. When that when that voice came on, did you press a button? No, I didn't press nothing. Okay, we can hear you now. 
I don't know. Some woman was saying, I, I can do that. I said, what? Can you hear, can you hear us now? Because we can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> uh, you, you just ignored me as usual. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I forgot what we were saying. But anyway. I, was back, I was backstage with the, well, I think when the four horsemen went in the WWE Hall of Fame, and they're all trying to put their tuxedos on. They all got these crippled old fingers, you know, bad necks. I said, this is what we are to be filming. <laughs> and they're going, screw you. You'll be like us one day. I, I'm, I'm there now. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, before you left and went back to Japan, I know I think Vince McMahon Senior had got the 1976 cage match with uh, Bruno. That was right. unbelievable. That was the big blow off in the garden, right? Right. It how was. Great, how great was that? Because that was that match to me. We had the blonde hair then. It was Bruno was in yeah. his in all his glory. He had recovered hey, from the injury. Hang on just a second. I want to show you something. This is great, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, you not like us. Hey, you, you, hey, Stan, you know what I just noticed? When Holy cow, oh, that's the. I'm trying to see if, it, if it's showing. Yep. You got it. You got it, man. It's all. Awesome. This is from a bunch of pictures that they put up with my retirement match over in Japan. And so I, I, I kept, uh, you know, Miss Baba was alive then, and she, she sent them all over here to me. But this is one of my favorites that I just, it's kind of been in, in the closet, but I pulled it out and uh, that's that's what I look like. And Bruno, can you, are you seeing it? Yeah, we can see it great. We see it great. What, what was your weight at that time? About 350? No, <laughs> I, was, I was only about you 350. You look like a little uh, I'm, I'm never that big, but uh, <laughs> I was I was like about 310, 315. I think Frank was 320 about that time. And they used to be really big, but oh, yeah. now they got these other guys, you know, that are so much bigger, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. <laughs> During yeah, but time. none of them are meaner than Stan Hansen, that's for sure. <laughs> Drop so a Stan, on the floor. That's no all Stan, Stan I, Bruno gave you the advice to, you know, that you know that to start looking. Where where did you look and where where do you end up? Well, you know, uh Vince Sr. booked me. He was booking for uh Anoki. And so the very first time I went, the Funks were booking for Baba. And I went to Baba, you know, for Baba back in 75, I think. And this was like 77. So I was finishing up, but uh, Vince had booked me for the January tour uh, for Anoki. And so I, I took that, of course. And then after that, I, I didn't go back to the New York at all, you know, until 81 or something like that. But. You came down to visit us in the He booked me me in for Anoki, so I started there, you know. Jerry, you were saying he came down and worked for you in the South. How how bad was the payoff working for the Briscoe brothers, Stan? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I never worked for them when they were promoters. (laughs) I don't blame you. (laughs) (laughs) But I heard. I work for him now, and he don't pay me a dang thing. <laughs> I remember you came down. You you were you were in Georgia, Florida, with us quite a while. Right. And, you know, 
pass them through there. You were you what you didn't put down any roots down here because of the the payoffs and everything and uh and so but uh, yeah, I think you had a pretty good run up in Atlanta though. Wasn't yeah, you yeah, know I did I I, I did and, and uh, you know uh, a lot of people don't care you know for Oli but I must say Oli brought me in and him and Gene were booking and uh, they brought me in and. Uh, they didn't really know who I was, except, you know, I'd done something in New York. But when they, Ole saw me work the opening match, you know, uh, it was like the second match or something in the Omni. And he, he came back, he says, golly, kid, I think I can make some money with you. <laughs> and he, you know, he 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 kind of, you know, gave me an opportunity there, you know, in, in Atlanta territory. And I had a great run there, boy. I mean, really good. Yeah, I nine. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't have to travel. Leave right. it. It was easy easy territory to work. I, I read I read a, a quote <laughs> from you, and I and I and I tell everybody this. This guy is so under under appreciated, and and not not a really a lot of people know just how hot he was, but. I read somewhere where you said Tommy Wildfire Rich was probably the greatest white meat baby face that 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 you had worked with at that time. Yeah, you know, I I I, I told Ole, I said, you know, <clears throat> after I was there about a month or something, and you know, I was working. Uh, Dick Slater was like, and and Tommy was getting the push, but he he hadn't gotten to that top yet, you know, uh, in that position, but. I said, man, I was looking at him, and man, he had great fire. He he sold like crazy, but never died. I mean, <clears throat> he was good looking, and you know, I mean, all you know. So he had a a good following, but he sold. He he sold. He sold like hell, but he never ever died, and he always kept fighting. And I mean, I said, I told Ole, I said, give me this kid, and we will we'll draw some money, man. He's the kind of Baby face, I want to fight, you know, against. And at that time, we were just opening up Michigan, Ohio, and, and, right. and, those, and those towns were so hot up in there. And I remember we'd book, book you and Tommy up there. We, we'd, we'd, we had the water crew, we had the free birds at the time, you know, we had <clears> coming in and out. I mean, they, they, the, the territory was loaded, but you and Tommy, you, you guys were. Anytime we'd put you on a card, I mean, it was, it, it, we'd work some of those little hillbilly towns and yeah. were, you know, whether those people really related to Tommy because Tommy yeah. was one of them, but you guys would go out and you'd have to fight your way out of the damn ring, I stand uh, to get back sometime. Uh, unbelievable. He, you know, Jerry, I, I, I forget, I forget that you were, you were up there involved in a lot of that at that time, you know, I mean, I just, I was doing the promotion at that time. I was, I was yeah, running, you, you know, that's when I first started running. I was really saying at that time, I was re really trying to get out of the business. You know, and my wife was pregnant with her first son with Wes and I was, I was, you know, had my investments and I was really trying to kind of slide out. So I wanted to get on that other side of the fence over there in the promotion. Right. So I, you know, we own part of Georgia. So that, that's what I, Hey, I'll just go up. We're opening up the new new areas up there, and I wanted to learn how to do that kind of stuff on that side of the business there. So I, 
after after when you know I was I was doing Ohio, Michigan, West yeah. Virginia, and part of yeah. Pennsylvania. But we had those towns popping, and it was like I know it. I mean, people were hungry. I mean, they've been watching that TBS for all these years, right? And then you know they would, they bring the talent up there, and you know I mean they had we had some great talent in there too, though. You know I mean. You know, uh, Bill Eady, uh, superstar. Yeah, Bill, Bill. You know, I mean, you know, Tommy. You know, uh, Ole and I were kind of teamed up a little bit. Ivan Koloff, God, Dick Slater. You know, they. I mean, they were all all really good, good talent, just great talent. Yeah, I was both- at that time when you went from uh, say uh, New York, then you find up end up in Japan. You mentioned that your style, your style was like nobody else's. Unless you saw some of the older guys, kind of know where it came from. You you were constant motion from the time you came through the curtain or whatever you walked through at the, at the entrance, constant motion till the time you left. You said mm-hmm. you saw uh, Tiger Jeet Singh and Abdullah in Japan. Did it really transform your style that much? Say from where you started in Amarillo to say late seventies after you had seen what Tiger Jeet Singh had done and and Abdullah had done. Well, you know, uh, the first time I went to Japan for Baba Abdullah was the lead, and he was like the main heel for all Japan. And then the second time I went through, through Vince, Tiger Jet Singh was the main guy on that first tour I went. So I got to see both those guys and two contrasting styles, but they were, you know, and so Terry Funk, he broke me in. I, you know, I copied him and Dick Murdoch, those guys, everybody takes something from somebody. And, you know, so those guys influenced me, but Tiger Jet saying, I mean, I saw him go to the ring and everything and how long it took him to get there and do all this stuff. And I mean, I was, I was taken back. And uh, my good friend, Pete Roberts, uh, he was there. He says, God, God, I can't believe it. I mean, I was, I was blown away. And so did I copy him? You know, I want to say I didn't copy him. He, he, but in some way I must have, because he had a sword and all this stuff. And I said, well, I'm going to, I'm a cowboy. I've always been a, you know, a, a Texan by God. And, <laughs> God bless uh, Texas. <laughs> and so, so anyway, you know. Uh, Is that where the bull rope came from? The rope, the prop, the well, rope? I started out with some little old bitty frilly rope, you know, that I was just taking. That's how I had John. <laughs> and then, I, you know, it, I, I added, I added to it and added to it. And then a big cowbell. I mean, I was really lucky, you know, in, in Japan and only in Japan. You know, I ended up doing some hurt, hurting a number of, of people. No fans, kidding. <laughs> fans, you know, because I was, I was going, you know, I was walking the chairs through the crowd. I used to herd, get the people moving in, in a big herd, you know, and I'd herd them one way and then they'd run back the other. And finally, Baba said, enough. Hey, enough. <laughs> All right. Enough. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I somehow, and you mentioned I just kept going. You know, it took tremendous amount of gas, you know, 
to, to keep going. I mean, you know, I was 300 pounds, but I could go because I was young and I played football and I, you know, I, I, and I got, and I did stairs in the stairwell in the morning. I did step ups, you know, to, you know, keep my legs, my legs were the most important part. And so, uh, there were a lot of guys stronger than me, but, uh, I think that I was one of the ones that could keep going. Stan, well, Stan, I really think that that's what sets you apart because, you know, you, you look back at the, the size that, that, that you were and, uh, you know, some of these guys, you, you see a big guy and you don't expect that from, from right. Like John said, as soon as you walk through that damn uh, curtain backstage, to, you got in the public, you were, you were not still, I mean, you were uh, the, the, like you said, the conditioning that you had was, was highly underrated because, uh, you could you could go with like I said, Jack and I was in the ring with you plenty of times, and you 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 were never you were never a step behind. You was always a step ahead. I mean, you know, big old freight train come off, give you a tackle. Your ass better be up for that next one, or you're gonna get freight trained over again. You know, and uh, <laughs> and I think that's the reason you you know you were so special to the fans out there just because of your motion. Uh, what I try to tell people all the time, they're young guys, you know, keep keep the motion up. You can sell and you can stay in position if you're moving the right ways. And right. you always had that natural instinct about you. And, and uh, people see that size and then see that speed that you have. Uh, it was it was phenomenal to be in the ring with you. And it was phenomenal to stand back there on those sold out curtains and watch your matches too. Well, thank you, Jerry. I mean, it's really nice. I mean, I, I, I did, I, I did try hard and I never let down and, and the Japanese a lot of times would complain because in some little small town where there's about, you know, 500 people or something or 300 people and everything. And it's on a cold day, they all want to take it easy, but I'd get out there and I'd, I'd blister them with the chop or whatever. And then, you know, they, they were forced to go out and, and work, you know, and evidently I've been told that that's what the, the fans said about Stan, you know, some, one of the few nice things they probably said about me was, you know, he said, Stan Hansen, he never lays down. I mean, you know, he, I always tried hard, no matter how big the house. And I think that goes back to Oh, Dory senior. He told me, he says, you know, you're not work. You're not just working for the guy that's sitting at ringside. You're working for that guy that's up there in the $2 seats. And he says, you know, just remember those guys came to see the show too. So, uh, you know, that kind of in the back of my mind stuck, you know, you work, you work, you work for everybody, not just, you know, that's true. That's true. A guy, those old guys, like uh, you know, we were so blessed and to come along where we did. The group of guys that you know, and and our little generation there, but right. we had we had the assets of seeing some of the really old Lou, like Lou and Knessie. They were at the tail end of their careers, but they they were Pat O'Connors, those guys like that. No. They drew money, but they all knew how to draw money without wasting time. And 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 motion, but still the moving, and we were blessed to come up with that and getting those little bits of information from our Dory Funk Senior, 
or you get guys like those guys. Uh, they we were so blessed to come along when we did and and, and progress like that. Yeah, you know, I mean, and, and you know, I mean, I, I'm uh, Terry Funk. I mean, Dory was you know one of the great wrestling champions and everything, but Terry. Terry was the character and, and uh, you know, he, he kind of, you know, that, that was the persona that I wanted to develop in some way. And then, you know, in, in Japan, I, I just wanted to, to go out and go, I mean, it was fun. It's like, you're playing Cowboys and Indians. <laughs> Way to better now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> And the Cowboys always come out on top. You hear that, Jerry? I'm outnumbered as usual. (laughs) Hey, Stan, you know, a lot of careers are defined by, you know, certain great moments. You had a long career defined by a lot of great moments. But the 1981 match you had, you just jumped from Anoki to go to Baba. And I think a year later you got teamed up with Brody and they had that incredible run. But 1981, the tennis stadium with Andre the Giant. You know, so many people remember Andre from the days with Hulk Hogan when he'd already declined a little bit physically where he couldn't quite do what he had done. He was a great athlete. Your Mm -hmm. match you had in 1981 was one of the best I've ever seen. And you always said that that was one of the things that made your career. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I, like I said, Terry Funk broke me in and I appreciate and I tell him that every day, but it was Andre the giant that got me over in Japan. And uh, because Andre was a smart guy, how many times can you go out and have a handicap match? You know, all this stuff. How many times can he wrestle a Noki? You can't. He wanted to come to Japan. It was a good place and he could draw money. So he was, when he saw me and I was, you know, I was going hell bent for leather, you know, doing my thing. He saw, he says, well, this might be the guy. You know, I can be a, uh, this can be my opponent. He needed an opponent. And so Andre, you know, in, in the sense, when I got into the ring, Noki and them were pushing me. And I said, well, even though you're Andre and I have great respect for him, I said, you know, I was going to fight him and I fought him. And he sold and he was smart. He heard the people. And after that, you know, he's the one that, uh, you know, he says, you know, we just had some great matches and it ended up in that big tennis stadium, you know. And right after that, yeah. you ended up getting uh, put back with Frank Goodish, who's now Bruiser Brody. Right. Did you know at the time that this was, there was just magic there? I mean, you guys, people to talk about uh, any type of Japanese wrestling, talk about you two guys. You know, the, the heyday of that great tag team right. in, the, in the early 80s to mid 80s. How great was that time with Brody? And did you realize at the time that, man, this is something really special? You know, I think I, I, I think we did. I think we knew we had a great position, and we, we thought about Japan as our territory. And we came down. Jerry mentioned uh, the Bayfront Center. Then we went down there and, and did, did some things there, uh, you know, but – and, uh, oh, we worked against uh, Jumbo and Yatsu. And, I mean, we beat the dog out of them through the whole match. Didn't give them one thing. And here they are. I mean, they were the Japanese team that we were fighting in Japan. 
but we didn't give them nothing. And when we came back, there was a number of guys that were there and they were going, golly, I can't believe you treated those guys that way. I mean, this is the guy Gene wrestlers. I mean, uh, you know, the American guys. And, and, and so Frank and I, we just kind of said, well, that's good. Then they'll really think hard about coming to Japan. <laughs> anyway, so we were trying to probably protect our position there in some way. And it, it probably wasn't right, but we did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But you had no competition. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there was some great competition out there, too. And But, but we wanted the Japanese as competition. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's too bad Frank, you know, decided to <clears throat> go to the Anoki side. I came from Anoki to Baba. But there's a big difference, and I'm not knocking Anoki in any way because uh, he gave me a, a great opportunity, and he was a good worker in his own right. But, you know, I ended up working for Giant Baba for 27 years on a handshake, you know, and that's the kind of guy he was, you know. So, I mean, I bet- up, that's what broke up you guys' team was because Brody at the time wanted to go back, wanted to go to Anoki and be the number one guy there. And you stayed with Bob and that's what, that's what separated the team of Hanson. Yeah, what, whatever the reason was, you know, that he, he, he wanted to go there maybe just to try ha- have that opportunity. But from day one, I mean, from day one, he ran into a bunch of problems, you know, and it didn't work out. And uh, Baba being Baba and, you know, we all, we always speculated that only Anoki and Baba knew what the hell was going on. <laughs> I think that was pretty good speculation. <laughs> you know, they, they, you know, you don't know, you know, you just, uh, they hate each other's guts and I believe they do. <laughs> they did, but uh, you never know, you know. Stan always heard a legend about you in Japan. I never saw it. I was on a bus with you a few times on the tour, a couple of tours I was on with you. But you got to understand, before cell phones and before the internet, guys didn't have anything to do. So you had a VCR a lot of times in a bus that you'd drive. you drive all over Japan, all four islands, right, right. all over the place. Guys would stick a movie in. You'd watch the latest, you know, Rocky or Stallone or Schwarzenegger or Van Damme movie, whatever it was at the time. There was always a story that if you didn't like a movie, you'd walk up and eject it and throw it out the window. Have you ever thrown a movie out a window of a moving bus? Yes. (laughs) And I mean, I I can't remember who who had brought it, but man, they got pissed off too. (laughs) I said, give me that thing. They threw it back here and I had the window open and I just grabbed it and right out the window, you know. What movie was it, Stan? I I can't remember. I don't know. (laughs) It was a lousy movie. (laughs) And Jerry, you understand these bus tours. I think it was a it was a musical called Oklahoma. (laughs) I don't blame it. (laughs) The greatest greatest musical of all time. You know what you did? You educated some some poor people along the street sides of Japan. They picked up that VCR, went home. And you enlighten them to the great state of Oklahoma. 
Oklahoma. So thank you very much, Stan. <laughs> oh, that's bad. <laughs> Stan, the other legend I got to ask you about before, before we end up going, we don't keep you too long. You, you get your phone's ringing off the hook. We got to let you go. Uh, I ain't doing it. That's that. The, uh, <laughs> the What happened in Denver, you're working for Vern Gagne, uh, and he wanted you to end up dropping the title to Nick Bockwinkle. And you're going back to Japan. That wasn't your agreement. So you walk in and tell us the story about the, the, the I ain't doing it. That's that. Well, you know, like I said, I don't talk. I, I'm not going to talk negative about Vern. But, you know, we did. We were, you know, I, I, first of all, I never dreamed, didn't want it, wasn't even thinking about getting the, uh, the heavyweight belt. I mean, I wanted to go after the belt not have the belt. But so anyway, they put the belt on me. I kept waiting for them to promote me as the champion. You know, we can draw. Give me Kurt Henning. Give me, you know, somebody that, you know, we can go out there and do it. But we never did it. And then they come in just out of the blue, you know. uh, They said, you know, you're going to drop it to to Nick. And I said, no, no, I'm not. And, And so, you know, all the bad shit in the world happens in a in a bathroom <laughs> somewhere. I mean, anyway, dressing room, bathroom, and so Vern's there, and uh, you know he he says, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Well, I'm not doing it. I had made no money. I didn't want this belt. It's it, I, I'm not going to do it." And so he got up in my face, you know, and, and I'm looking over here at, at Nick. You know, Nick's a great guy, good guy. I have nothing ever bad to say about Nick, but he'd been working for Vern for 20 years. You know, he, I know where his loyalty lies, you know, so I'm just, so I just, you know, I just pushed, pushed Vern back, you know, not hard. I just, I said, don't get in my face, you know, and he says, I'm not doing it. And that's it. And I turned around and got my bags and went out to the airport and got on the plane and went to Japan. Did you walk through the crowd when you left so they knew you were I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I I could remember. I I mean, I definitely didn't go out there in front of everybody on purpose. I mean, I just left. There's all kinds of legends surround it. But now the one legend that I don't think I think surrounds it is very similar to the movie being thrown out the bus. (laughs) You mailed the title belt back to Vern. Yeah, they you improved it just a little bit before you did, right? <laughs> I did. It was a piece of shit to start with. I'm going to say, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But, I mean, it was an old belt that they had had. And I, from what I understand, that some kind of convicts made it in a prison and gave it to, you know, so that I had a little history and everything to it. But anyway, it was beat up and everything. And so... You know, they, uh, it was beat up and, uh, you know, so they're going to sue me and all this. You got to send the belt back. And I, I sent it back and it was beat up a little more than it was when I got it. But (laughs) did you, did you happen to run over it with a tractor? Well, you know what? The tractor kept going in circles. I couldn't believe it. I could not keep. (laughs) <laughs> so you ran over it with a tractor a few ah, times. you know we will never know 
or a four-wheeler? <laughs> no, it was a tractor. <laughs> okay, we got the truth right there. <laughs> it was a tractor. Uh, speaking, speaking of truth, tell, tell us a little bit about Vader. Oh, great guy. <laughs> you know, I broke Vader in. I mean, I didn't break him in. He broke in and when I was in the, <laughs> the AWA. And uh, evidently, I had a match with him in the Meadowlands. And, uh, you know, Vader was just starting. I mean, he was a big, impressive guy from he day was. one. And, and, and a legit, you know, legit football player and everything is number one draft choice and so forth. Well, I mean, he played the Super Bowl. Well, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I can't remember that part. But anyway, <laughs> I ended up having this match with Vader in the Meadowlands, and it was like a in-between match. So I went out and I, you know, I mean, I did what a top heel should do, you know, I guess. Anyway, I took it to Vader and he didn't get a whole lot. And uh <laughs> after it was over with. He said that he read some kind of a bunch of news clippings that the, th that match was the most horrible undermatch in, in the history of pro wrestling, Stan Hansen against Vader. And, man, it just stuck. And we were good friends. I mean, we got along really good later on. But uh, it stuck. It stuck at his craw, you know, that they said that about him, you know, in that match. So then later on, we had this match that they just threw together between uh, New Japan and All Japan, and they put me and Vader together. And we went out and we had a, a, a you know, I mean, it was, wow, it was tough. And, and, you know, he had this big gimmick, right? I mean, he tells the story, but he, he has this big gimmick and, and he told, uh, uh, a, a Noki, he wanted a Noki to put it on. And he said, uh, no, I can't. I, I'm going to go out. Stan Hansen is not going to let me get into the ring with this thing on. I mean, he's not going to allow that. And he says, well, no, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta wear it out there and then you can take it off right before you step into the ring. Right. So anyway, he comes out with this big Vader thing on and he takes it off. And about, about that time, I, I, I come across and I, I charged him, of course, you know, and I hit it. And it came back and busted his nose right off the bat. I mean, first thing, <laughs> this big heavy deal, hit him in the nose. He's got tears running out of his eyes. He can't see nothing and he's seeing red. And I mean, well, it started and we pounded each other good, boy. I tell you, it was tough. And then, you know, I, I, I'm blind. I can't <laughs> see. But, you know, during the match or something, we were one, two, and back. I mean, literally, really, one, two, and one, two, and back and forth. All of a sudden, he backs up and he pulls off the mask in the whole crowd. You know, he had never done that. But, I mean, he pulled it off. And his eyes, you know, Everybody says his eye popped out. I couldn't see it. I mean, I saw, I saw that you know something was there, but I mean, you know, I don't know if it popped out or not. But he, you know, he pushed it. You know, he said he pushed it back in. So 
I don't know if that's true, yeah, if that happened or not, but that that was his story. And, uh, you know, I don't know, but thank God it, I mean, it did do some lasting damage, I guess, to him. But, but believe me, he, he said, are you going to stick around? Because uh, Tyson was fighting Bubba Douglas the next day in the Tokyo Dome. He said, you sticking around for the fight? I said, listen, there won't be one punch that was thrown tomorrow that, <laughs> that will come close to all the ones that were thrown out there today. <laughs> so what happened right after the match? Back in the dressing room. I mean, what were you? What were well, you, I, you know what? I mean, I knew, I, I I knew he was, you know. I mean, you can kind of tell he was upset, or you know, during the match and all this stuff, and you know everything. And then we're just pounding each other so hard. So when I'm going into the dressing room. I said, well, get ready, you know, because, you know, Big Leon's going to be Big Leon. <laughs> and so, you know, but anyway, he come over, oh, wow, man, great. <laughs> he gave me a big hug and everything. I said, oh, yeah, okay, good. I mean, you know, no heat. I mean, we were we were friends after that, you know. So, anyway, I <laughs> – I could make up a big, bigger story, but that's the truth. <laughs> Leon and I got along. We got along. But I seen him, you know, I seen him do a number of things before. Stan, <laughs> how you feeling now? You got, uh, you got, you're a bonic man, aren't you? I mean, you got shoulders <laughs> replaced. You got knees replaced. I mean, both. Yeah, I got both shoulders replaced. Both my knees replaced. My knees have been 20 years, maybe a little lower. You know, my shoulders are about. 15 or so, you know, and I, you know, I have no pain. So, you know, but I need a wrist. <laughs> My <laughs> wrist is bad because those daggum chops. <laughs> I would have learned to work. I could have Those guys just stepped here. into them too hard, right? Stan, what you're throwing them, they just ran into them too hard. Yeah. <laughs> they just kept cutting the distance between it. <laughs> Well, Stan, this has been been a, a wonderful hour here. Yeah, two hours with the setup. But I got to compliment you about one thing. You're you're a Texan, and compliments are hard to come by. But <laughs> your 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 shelves kind of. If you look at my uh, frame there, I think we got similar shelves, bookshelves here, and we have book. We actually have books. They're probably. They're probably your wife's books, just like these books are my wife's books. Uh, <laughs> and old Bradshaw's got a giraffe and a damn uh, tomb that he goes in at nighttime and locks <laughs> himself right. in. That's right. Yeah, yeah I, got well. sword, I got a sword there. For, you remember Animal Hamaguchi? Station? Yeah. So uh -huh. Animal Hamaguchi had a gym there at Wano Station. Right, yeah, yeah. And upstairs, Funaki-san, who was an announcer at SmackDown and WWE, Worked there as a young boy, and I used to see these swords there that uh, they were selling there by the Sheetite Shrine. Uh -huh. And uh, I didn't have the money to buy it. wasn't that much, $200, but I didn't have that money. So I got my first big deal with Tenru when I went to work for a bigger company. I ended up buying this uh, sword from uh, right there by Animal Hamaguchi's gym. I'll be. That's I was so proud of myself. And that was before 9-11. I carried that sword on the plane with me to come back. <laughs> I did. I put it over at Ben, a samurai sword. Golly. <laughs> they'd arrest you now. Yeah, they yeah, they wouldn't you wouldn't even get close to the plane with that. 
Yeah. Well, Stan, do you, do you miss Japan? You know, I I do miss Japan. I mean, I, I, you know, I hadn't gone back in a couple of years, you know, and, uh, you know, they, but I still do some things with certain people over there, virtual things and everything, you know, but uh, I, I'm basically out of it. I've been but retired over 20 years. So, you know, well, I mean, Jerry uh, said you don't do Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've done Zoom now. <laughs> yes, you have. We better not let that out, Stan. Or your phone really will be ringing. Uh, no, I'm going to tell you this. I mean, I cut off a bunch of these podcasts and all these things because everybody and their dog was calling me up. And, uh, you know, some of them I don't mind every once in a while, you know, but. I mean, I must say, uh, my wife said, uh, I said, uh, Bradshaw and uh, Briscoe, are, we're going to do a podcast. And she says, well, I thought you weren't going to do it with any, any of those guys. And I said, well, these guys, <laughs> I'll do it because I like them both. <laughs> thank you, brother. Yeah, thanks, Stan. Thank you so much. Been well, thank you. And uh, anyway, like you said, I always tell them, I said, the old guys, you can tell if they're old because they never shut up talking. They just keep on going. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stan, I hope to see you out now with this summer. Out, uh, you know, it's a special place. JBL was out there one year, and he made a great announcement that we can't get into on itself. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> He'll have to tell you off the air about his announcement. <laughs> it was unbelievable. He Somebody stole my phone, Stan. I think that's somebody from Oklahoma. What a disaster that was. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> well, well, I hope I hope to go out there. You know, maybe all this stuff will be over with and you know we can get back to a little bit of normal. But uh we're hoping so. Well, thank you for joining us. That is Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I'm Bradshaw. That's Briscoe. And we are with the legend, the last outlaw, Mr. Stan Larry Hansen. What a wonderful treat. Thanks for joining us.